0: The reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. The Living Stone and a Chosen People As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of, the, of God.
1: Thanks, Thanks God. Shall we pray? Father, we invite you to send your Holy Spirit amongst us so that uh, he will open our minds and open our hearts to receive the word you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Andy has given you the spiritual greeting as we look at our first slide, which David's just going to put up for us, I will give you the, um, the greeting from that part of England. ayup hey, up. <laughs> for those of you who are fans of uh, James Herriot's uh, books uh, and the two TV series that have been produced, fans of James Herriot? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, Fairly early on in our relationship as we were on a train going north, Eunice was reading one of his books, and uh, actually, absolutely re- was reduced to hysterics in quite a full railway carriage, um, but I still loved her and married her. Um, this is the heart of Harriet country. This is Wensleydale, looking across the village of Askerig. Um, and um, the, this is a prophetic picture, I took it. Um, in um, the late spring, early summer of 2019. We're just coming back from uh, seeing um, one of my cousins and her husband in uh, Durham, driving back to Cheshire by the scenic route. Um, And uh, what I want you to look at, although it's a beautiful picture, if you you look at the wall, uh, these are, um, and if you can perhaps put the third one up, David, if you look at this one closely, this one, the next one, uh, this is one which uh, Eunice encouraged me to take and which I used as a screensaver for quite a while on the family computer. This is a dry stone wall. And as you're driving across up Wensleydale, um, you can see these walls all the way up the hillside. On that first picture in the, in the mist, you can, uh, you can actually see that they stretch up to about the 300, 400 meter mark before the fell rises away. Um, It's, it's, my heart for some reason is in Wensleydale. I was born about 30 miles away from where this picture was taken. Uh, And we drove on up to Hawes where there's the Creamery which is the only authentic source of Wensleydale cheese. Do not buy Wensleydale cheese unless it comes from the Hawes Creamery. So, that dry stone wall um, is held together solely by the skill of the craftsman. There is no cement, Um, and um, those walls stand for decades, Um, but from time to time, um, they obviously undergo wear and tear I should say, by the way, we didn't stop to take a picture of walls, we actually stopped to take pictures of the sheep. Um, it was lambing time, <laughs> just in case you think i of some sort of dry stone walnut. Um, the, the, uh, and as the wall perhaps breaks down over time, the craftsman comes and he rebuilds it. And that for me is a picture of a living wall a living stone, being a living stone. The, you may for some time be in a particular position in the wall, but as the wall changes, as the needs of the, of the wall change, as it suffers stress, it has to be rebuilt and you might find yourself in another part of the wall. You may in find, in fact find, like some people, that you're transported to a totally different part of the field and you are in a different wall. But it's all held there by the skill of the craftsman. Um, I I hope you find that a helpful picture. Every wall though needs a foundation. And uh, scripture is full of imagery about foundations. Um, If you've got time, have a look at one of my favorite passages in scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, which talks very much about Jesus as our foundation. Peter says that Jesus is not only the foundation, he's the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the first stone you lay. Each side of it has to be perfect. Each angle has to be perfect. The top has to be perfect. Because you're going to use that in ancient building, you're going to use that to line up the whole of the rest of your building, the whole building depends on getting that right, that stone being perfect. And um, we haven't got our time this morning, but but um, Peter says of Jesus the Cornerstone that he's living. Jesus, Peter reasserts the historical truth of the resurrection, that Jesus is a living cornerstone. Three times in this passage, Peter says he's precious. He's valuable. I was thinking about bringing along as an illustration for this the corner piece of a jigsaw, which fulfills a very similar role. But the corner piece of a jigsaw is so precious I was sort of worried I'd lose it in my pocket and Eunice would never forgive me. But, you know, how precious is Jesus to us as the foundation of our lives? And and thirdly, he's chosen by God, and because he's been chosen by God, he is reliable for us to choose. And Peter moves on in the, the passage to... Uh, to back up his argument and to develop this picture with two passages from Isaiah um, and one from Psalm 118. And um, these passages together say, Jesus is reliable. Jesus isn't, and it's as true today now as it was then because basically I don't believe that human nature has changed at all in 2000 years. Jesus isn't necessarily the obvious answer. And Jesus can actually create difficulties. Just a pause on verse 7, the the passage from uh, Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus used that, that verse about himself. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all report that. Doesn't actually say so. Wouldn't surprise me if Jesus, if Peter wasn't there when Jesus said that. But not just that, Peter used it himself in his own defense before the Sanhedrin. This is a verse which is very, very important to Peter because he now uses it again here. And you know, we can't be neutral about Jesus. He either is the cornerstone and we align our lives with him or, thinking of the building site, We stay in the mud and the chaos of the site looking for something or someone which we think is better but which we will never find. But Peter moves on from um, talking about walls. He develops uh, into a different picture. He says, you're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. And since we're all in this together, that's where I would like us to spend the rest of our time looking at God's word. When we come to Holy Communion shortly, each one of us who has made the choice to build our lives on Jesus, the cornerstone, will stand. We'll get up out of our seats. And as we move forward, it is as if we set out for the cross. The instrument of the punishment we deserve. But before we get there, we meet Jesus at the table where he says, I've already been to the cross. I've taken the punishment for you. You don't need to go past this table. I've left to remind you about what I did and to act as a proclamation of that to everyone. And that is about our individual choice but we're all in it together. Scripture reminds us that we're not alone. We are a chosen people. We are a community. Let's remember and rejoice that after Pentecost, the church started by meeting together and eating together. Acts 2, with bits missed out, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, All the believers were together. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. All with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. We love one another. Paul says to the Romans, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's not just eating and meeting, it's also about encouragement. Writer to the Hebrews says, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And it spreads outward to strangers. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, Some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And this sense of fellowship, of community, becomes more powerful still later in this service. When we come to the communion table, we respond to these words, which I have to say move me somehow every time I hear them, On a night he was betrayed, at supper with his friends, Jesus took bread. We come to the table as Jesus' friends and as friends with each other. As we come to the table shortly, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us hold together our individual commitment to align ourselves with Jesus, the cornerstone, while also sharing together with Jesus and all his friends. We're a chosen people. We're also, Peter says, a royal priesthood. We are royal. We are sons and daughters of our Father God we can enter freely into his presence. When the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, he teaches them to call their heavenly father, Dad, and that hasn't changed. Paul writes to the Romans, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And he says to the Ephesians, in Christ Jesus our Lord and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom, with freedom and confidence. So as a royal priesthood, we confidently bring spiritual sacrifices, Peter writes in verse four. And let's remember Romans 12:1. offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. All our acts of daily living, who we are, what we do, are dedicated to God and, however costly to us, pleasing to him. We confidently, and this is verse 9, declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And sometimes we may not feel like singing or responding all that confidently, but isn't the Biggest sacrifice, coming and doing it when we most don't feel like it. And we confidently come into the presence of the king, and we chat about our day, our successes, our failures, our needs, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our leaders, our world, knowing that he already knew all that and wants both to bless and to help us. So we are a chosen people and a royal priesthood. And this morning, you know, I feel very much that the Lord wants to say to us, this is who you are. Slightly unusually, for me, I find myself preaching a sermon which isn't about, look, this is what, I, what God feels you ought to do to change. This is who you are. We are a holy nation. And holy, and Andy spent last Sunday before last on holiness, we are not just good and pure, but also separate. Dedicated to God, even if that means that we're countercultural. Where do you set, if you've got an electronic instrument? Where do you set the first day of the week in your diary? Is it a Sunday or a Monday? This is a day of resurrection. This is the first day of the week. Are we, you know, even that little bit countercultural? It really fouls up your life when you first do it, but gosh, it feels good. Don't surrender to Microsoft or Apple or Google. Go your own way, it can be done if you know where the tech is. You may feel downtrodden, you may feel under attack, you may feel sad that the census suggests that less than 50% of the population of England claims to be Christian. But I've just read a book which suggests that at the time Constantine became a Christian, at most 2% of the empire was Christian. So take heart. And I'm straying over the boundaries of the passage, but um, verse 12 says, live such good lives among the people around you that although they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. As citizens of a holy nation, we have a second passport. Now, Eunice has got a whole load of good teaching on this, and I'm not not going to go there. But um, it's a passport, which means that we have the right to go anywhere and be welcomed in the name of the the king. Not, Not the king. The king, King Jesus. But we're not just a nation in the parish of Longfleet we're a nation across the world. And I'm not talking about overseas mission, I'm talking about the global community, about genuine engagement and conscious membership of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Peter was aware, let's remember, going right back to week one, Peter was aware of and in contact with and writing to and praying for his fellow expats and encouraging them by writing this letter from Rome to Turkey. And that wasn't an email. That wasn't even licking a very expensive stamp on an envelope. That was getting a guy to carry this letter, probably Silvanus carrying this letter to Turkey. And some of the commentaries spent their time work trying to work out pointlessly, in my view, as to what route he took. Now, I'm just an ordinary layman who happens to have had extraordinary opportunities to travel on business and on leisure. I was also brought up to take seriously going to church on Sundays. So if I've not been too totally exhausted, if I reasonably can, wherever in the world I am, I try to be in God's house on a Sunday. And this can lead to all sorts of adventures, and I haven't got time, because Andy will start looking at his watch to tell you about any of them. But if you do that, if you engage in doing that, then, like Andy said in the first week, you might meet a different culture. Um, You may not be entirely comfortable with styles of churchmanship. There might be language struggles. But equally, I've been blessed, and I hope too that on occasion I may possibly have been a blessing. Just a flavor. There was one sentence earlier on in this sermon which came from an Austrian Baptist pastor who our church helped to train a lot of years ago. Now retired, but still preaching about once a month in a church in Graz. And I occasionally listen to him on iPod. I've got enough German... To understand about two thirds of it, as long as I know where the passage is. He gave me a sentence just from a recent sermon. That's the sort of interaction you can get. And one very simple idea, great for Anglicans. If you're traveling in Europe, check out the Diocese of Gibraltar in Europe website. It's part of the Anglican, the English Anglican Church, and its chaplains minister to congregations. They're a mixture of pretty permanent expats living and working abroad, some slightly less permanent holiday homeowners, holidaymakers, businessmen who may pass through and never be seen again. But we can encourage them by going to services, by taking an interest. And there's one particular chaplaincy, which has been of great blessing to me personally over the years, just a little place we go to on holiday when things are really bad. Coming to Holy Communion, it's not just about personal journeys to the cross or even our communal life here in Pool. We also say together, as we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ our risen Lord and with your whole church throughout the world, We offer you this sacrifice of praise. We are and are a part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Let us seize that truth, take courage, and live in it confidently every day. Amen.